Hey guys, good morning, good morning. It's so good to see all of you here today. I feel like I'm a little bit loud up here on the stage, but uh, anyway, so good to see all of you guys here today. I want to start out by just saying a word of thanks uh, to Miss Deanna and Miss Donella. Thank you guys so much. I know that that took some courage and that took some strength. And I think about what would it take for you to be uncomfortable. Now, some of you may be comfortable being public speakers and you could stand up here on stage and never bat an eye. But to be uncomfortable, to be willing to do something, you'd have to believe in something pretty strongly. And I think both of these ladies uh, believe in bridge groups. And so I just want to say thank you. Church, can we give them a hand one more time? So good, so good. I want to make sure uh, it was very clear. So they are involved in Lynn Smith's life group that meets before service. I'm not sure the exact time, 8.15, something like that. You can go look that up on the website to sign up for that. That is a women's group that meets here on Sunday mornings. And we had such an incredible response to that last year that we decided we were going to offer a men's group as well. We had several women that were coming, and the husbands were just sitting around talking about fantasy football, which is important. It's important stuff, you know, NFL, all that. But Jesus is way more important. And so uh, and so we're going to have an option for the guys to be in as well. And so I just want you to know about those. Again, child care is provided. That is before service. Uh, several other groups that are in homes. So just go and, and look at that and avail yourself to those opportunities, okay? I also want to give a special thanks to our media team. Uh, we got a, brown, a brand new sound system, speakers and cables and stuff are the same, but the, the internal components, we had to get another one. Uh, maybe you've been here, we've had a couple services where just all of a sudden in the middle of service we would lose sound or something would kind of go cattywampus with the sound. And, and they were so good, they did resets and they limped that system along as far as they could get it, but they spent pretty much all day yesterday installing a new system, uh, got here this morning, we're working kinks out. And so church, can we just give a big round of applause to our media team that worked so hard behind the scenes? Thank you guys so much. Well, I'm excited to see you today. We are starting a brand new series called Restoring Values. And so if you're here today, it's a great time to be here But I want to do something a little bit different today. So here's what I'd like to do. I would like to introduce this series next week. So today's message is a part of the series, but I'm going to introduce the series next week. You're looking at me confused. That'll make more sense after next Sunday, I promise. Here's the deal. I have got so much I want to say on today's topic uh, that, that I want to just jump right into it. And so again, we'll introduce the series next week, but we are in this series on restoring values. Today, I want to talk to you on the subject of miracles. On the subject of miracles. And I thought I would start out with a little bit of a lighthearted note. I read a joke this week that I thought was really funny. We'll see if you guys think it is here in just a moment. It's gotten mixed reviews so far, so let me just throw that out. I may need a couple sympathy laughs, so just be ready, Brenda. She's my, she'll help me out sometimes when y'all don't laugh. Brenda's my amen corner. So anyway, all right, here it goes. 
So there was this pastor and this priest, and they got into a car wreck. And in this car wreck, their cars were badly damaged. But both men got out of their cars, and and they looked at themselves, and they looked at each other, and, and miraculously, they were okay. And so they looked at each other, they said, are you okay, are you, oh my goodness. So the pastor said to the priest, it's a miracle. It is a miracle. Look at these cars and we're both fine. This is a miracle. I believe this is a sign from God that we were supposed to meet and become friends. The priest said, absolutely, I I believe that. And just at that moment, as they were saying that, a bottle of sacramental wine rolled out from the priest's car, completely undamaged, completely untouched. Now this badly mangled car, this bottle of wine comes rolling out. The priest said, my goodness, it is a miracle. Look at this bottle. Look at this bottle compared to this car. This is a sign from God that we are supposed to to take and drink to our good fortunes. We're supposed to take and drink. So the pastor said, okay. So he took a couple big swigs, downed quite a bit of the wine, handed it to the priest The priest took it and put the cap back on it. Pastor said, aren't you going to drink? He said, I think I'll wait for the police. (laughs) Ba-doom! Brent, I don't even think you had to. I think there was some good laughter. Yeah, okay, all right. You were with me this morning. I can tell you're ready for the word. Let's go. Let me begin today by asking you a couple questions. You know how much I love questions. How many of you, and really don't raise your hand if you're not sure or you don't believe this, how many of you believe God can and still does do miracles? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Okay. Hands up all over the auditorium. How many of you, and let me preface this question by saying this, I'm going to ask you, have experienced a miracle firsthand, but by firsthand, I mean it happened to you or it happened to someone that you know that you can trust. I mean, just explicitly trust. They've got no reason to lie to you. How many of you would say you have had a miracle happen to you or someone you trust firsthand? If that's you, can I see a hand? Okay, several, several. A little bit less, but still several. Here's kind of my point today. I want to talk to you on the subject of miracles and and the fact that miracles are not reserved for the pages of Scripture. I think we can find unanimous agreement that when you look in the Bible, when you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that there are miracles everywhere. Miracles before Jesus, miracles during Jesus' life, miracles happened after Jesus' life. But yet so many of us live like a miracle can't or won't happen today. And so I want to talk again on the subject of miracles that God is still moving and he still does miracles. I feel like I need to put in a disclaimer, though. There are a lot of people like me who call themselves pastors and they stand behind pulpits like this one. And what they do is they use a miracle as a point of manipulation. They, they think that they've got this formula that if, if you do this and this and this, then God has to do whatever this thing is. Or, or you manipulate God that, that somehow you can make God do what you want Him to do. And generally, that is prefaced by, for your gift of $1,000, for your gift of six ninety five or whatever it is, 
If you'll sow a seed in faith, if you'll do this, then God has to answer. Can I tell you that if I ever do that, leave this church and never come back? I want to tell you that if you ever hear a pastor do it's not wrong to talk about money. It is wrong to use money or any other means, especially miracles, as a form of manipulation. Hear me and hear me good. God cannot be manipulated and he will not be manipulated by us. We are his creation. Think about what kind of a weak God would create something and then be manipulated by the thing that he created. And so it's not possible. It's not in his nature. It doesn't happen. However, there are things that we we can do. You and I can do to cooperate with the miracle that God wants to do in our life. I could use a lot of different descriptors there to unlock the door or or to open the door for a miracle in our lives. There are things we have a part to play. I I think about like a garden, for instance. Uh, We can't make it rain. None of us can make it rain. But we can till the ground and we can plant the seed. We can do our part to make that garden grow in the same way we can have that kind of partnership. We can be faithful and obedient and we can open the door for that miracle in our lives. I want to share with you a couple miracles that I know about firsthand. Uh, When I asked you that question, how many of you have experienced a miracle firsthand or someone you really trust? Several hands went up, but there were a lot of hands that didn't go up. And and so I want to talk to you about just again a couple that I know. Uh, The first one's really personal. So a little while back, uh, my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer. And he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now, I've been in ministry long enough. I've seen that happen to people in the church. Pancreatic cancer tends to be one of the most invasive types of cancer there is. Generally, you don't have much time. And so before he left the doctor's office that day, they told him he probably had eight and at the very most ten months to live. He comes home and he tells us the news. Of course, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking to all of us. And, and so we did the only thing we could do in that moment. Uh, our family got together and we prayed. And I shared it with the staff here at the church and they prayed. And his, uh, my grandfather's church prayed and there were a lot of people praying over him well when he went back for his scan they the doctor said you know what one of the things we're seeing is it looks like the majority of the cancer is contained in the head of the pancreas i think you would be a great candidate for a whipple procedure uh that's as much about the procedure and the medical jargon as i can tell you but he went in and he had this surgery and guys i'm telling you God did a miracle. Now, I can't tell you that he doesn't see an oncologist. He still does. It's still something he's got to keep up with. They're still saying that there is some evidence of cancer in his life. But he was given eight to ten months to live, and that was two years ago. I wholeheartedly believe that God did a miracle. Now, there are people who I know in the church, but I don't know like super well who have told me that same kind of story, only they prayed and the doctors didn't do the procedure and and God miraculously took the cancer. 
Praise God. Sometimes he works supernaturally. Sometimes he works through doctors and medicine. But I believe wholeheartedly that was a miracle. Then, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, many of you know we are one church with four locations. We have one in Princeton, one in Goldsboro, of course, one here in Mount Olive. We also have a location in Smithfield. In Smithfield. And so, uh, four weeks ago, when we were starting our sermon series on Transformed, it's the sermon series we just came off of, it was, we looked at the book of Philemon, there was a young lady who came to one of our churches, and I won't tell you which one, which location, but she came to one of our locations, uh, sat by herself in service. At the end of the service, she came forward for prayer because, of course, the message during those sermons, it was all about how Jesus can change your life, how you can be transformed just like Onesimus was transformed. And so she comes forward for prayer, and she is weeping by the time she gets to the altar. The preaching pastor, uh, like we do, at that particular Sunday, they met people and prayed in the altar. And so it just ha- so happens that the other prayer people were busy. And so this young lady comes down. She finds the preaching pastor. She asks for prayer. She's very vague, very non-detail, uh, not giving a whole lot of details. And so he says, okay, well, let's pray. And when she sticks out her hands to pray... He sees track marks all over her arm where she's been cutting herself. This young lady had been cutting herself for quite a while. He looks at that because she's wearing long sleeves, but again, whenever she put her hands forward to pray, they came up a little bit. And so the pastor said, tell me what this is about. What's what's going on? And it was at that point she broke. I mean, God wrecked her right there in that altar, and she began to tell him that it was just last night that she had the razor to her arm, and she was trying to take her life, but she just couldn't get up the nerve to cut deep enough. And she said, it was last night, as I sat with blood flowing down my arm, not courageous enough to keep going, that I said, I've got to do something different. I am not happy with my life. And so the very next day, she walked in to one of our locations, prayed with the pastor, gave her heart to Jesus at the altar. And then here's the really cool part. Here's the really cool part. Uh, The pastor got her hooked up with some counseling. She's been doing great. She's been at church every Sunday during that Transformed series. And he said, I prayed with her last Sunday. And she showed me her arm. She pulled up her sleeves. She was like, look, pastor. And he said, man, those marks are healing up because God saved that girl and her life has been transformed. Can we give God a round of applause for what he's doing? It's an absolute miracle. This young lady has struggled with that for a long time. Now, does she still have a long way to go? Absolutely. But she, I mean, think about the steps that she has already taken. To first go to a church and sit by yourself, that's daunting enough. And then to go forward for prayer, that's incredibly daunting. And to give her life to Christ and for the past few weeks she's been walking that out and so just join me in prayer for her just join me that she would be able to continue down that path of healing that she's on but god has done a miracle 
Now listen, as I tell those stories, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, Pastor Andrew, that's nothing. I have got a story that's even more miraculous than that. If you only knew what God had done in my life. We love those stories. Please share those. Come find me in person. Write me an email. I know for some people it's, it's better if they take time to just write it out. But we want to know. It builds our faith. It builds our faith when we hear stories like that. Again, maybe your story may be more miraculous than, than those that I shared with you. Praise God. I love it. The point of all of that is we serve a God that is still alive and active and moving. Scripture tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That the God who did miraculous acts in Scripture is the same God who is moving and active today. And, and so what I'd like to do to, to show that to you, to prove it to you, is I want to look at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to begin in verse 34. Let me kind of set this up for you though. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of the few things that appears in all four Gospels. It appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now these Gospel writers, oftentimes they, they would write uh, about different accounts. Some of them have some of the same things in them. There are synoptic Gospels and but there are a few stories and there are a few miracles that appear in all four. And this happens to be one of those. I believe it's because this is the largest miracle that Jesus ever performed. When we say 5,000, it was Jewish custom to only count men. And so we're talking about 5,000 men, but that doesn't take into account at all the women and the children who were there as well. And so it would be right and accurate to assume that there could have been as many as 25, I don't know, 20, 25,000 people there that day. So it was extremely large miracle. We're getting to verse 34. Jesus and his disciples are on one side of the sea. Uh, Jesus decides, you know what, let's withdraw to a solitary place. So they get in the boat and they cross the sea. But this crowd, these people that were with him, they are not ready to let Jesus go yet. They want to hear more. There is such an excitement. There is such an expectation and an anticipation about what is he going to do next? What's he going to say next? And so scripture tells us that they actually ran on the side of the bank of the sea and they beat Jesus to the other side. So here's Jesus and his disciples, and they're going across the sea. And you have this crowd of just, say, 15,000, 20,000 people. And they are running. They are cross-country running to the other side, to Bethsaida. And they beat Jesus there. The disciples, I know, had to do a double take. They, they come to the dock, and it's like, hey, wait, what are you guys? You were just... But here's the crowd again because there's so much expectation and anticipation. So let's read verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Emphasis on the many things. Jesus taught many, many, many things that day. He didn't preach a sermon. He preached a sermon series how do we know that? 
because of the next verse. Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day. (laughs) Jesus has been preaching all day. See, some of y'all, y'all fall asleep. I don't even pre I'm not even preaching until 1115 and some of you guys are antsy. Jesus has preached all day. You're saying, Pastor, you're not as good as Jesus. Don't say that. All right. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. The disciples, very astutely, they recognize a problem. How do they recognize this problem? Because their internal alarm clock starts going off. Uh, Jesus, we miss lunch. Now it's past supper time. I was not aware that we were starting a fast or I would have eaten more for breakfast. They're hungry because we're hungry. Ain't no food around. Believe me, I've already snuck off after you started that second sermon. I went and searched and there's nothing. This is a remote place, and so send the people away. It's late in the day. You don't want to get stuck in a situation where we're going to have to feed these people. So the disciples see the problem. They present that to Jesus. And, And really, they saw it on the surface level, but there is a deeper truth at play here, and that is a problem is a prerequisite for a miracle. A problem is that we don't like problems. We don't want problems. But if everything's just kind of going along even keel in your life, you don't need a miracle. You don't need to show up, God to show up in your life. You you do, but you don't realize you do. There is something about us, all of us, being confronted with a problem that makes us pray in a way that we wouldn't normally pray. That makes us seek God in a way that we normally would not seek God. And, And so... A problem is a prerequisite for a miracle. No problem, no miracle. Verse 37. But he answered, so Jesus' reply is, you give them something to eat. That was not what we were expecting, Jesus. And, And so Jesus suggests that they take ownership of this problem. The rest of verse 37 says this. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wage. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to the people? And then even if we could find that much, it would, we would have to go to one village and then another. We're a ways away. Not only would it take half a year's wage, but it would take a long time because we're not around a town, Jesus. What are we, how in the world could we do that? They only saw the problem. In this particular instance, at this moment, they were so focused in on the problem. Here's what's wrong. Jesus, okay, you said us, give them some. So even potential solutions now they're shooting down. They're seeing the problems and potential. Problems, problems, problems. The disciples are problem people. Anybody know any problem people? Can I see your hand? If you know some, they are problem focusers. Problem words. I saw some pointing going on to my right. Don't point, folks. Don't point. They may be sitting beside you, but we love them, and Jesus died for them. We're going to pray for them at the altar. We all know problem people. The disciples are obsessed. So verse 38 Jesus replied, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. 
So, so Jesus asks this question, how many, what do you have? And in this simple question, he lays a groundwork for us. So this is the first lesson I want to show you. A miracle begins with what you have. I know that's so simple. You're almost tempted not to write it down. I'm telling you, write that down right now. A miracle begins with what you have, not with what you don't have. Not with what you, the disciples, it, it was easy for them to look around and say, well, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. We're a ways away from everything. It was easy for them to look around and see all the problems. And we read Mark chapter 6, and if we're not careful, we find ourselves being a little judgy, not you, but like some of the people at the other locations, there may be a little judgy. Of Come on, disciples, you've got Jesus there. What's wrong with you? But yeah, how easy is it for all of us God has called us to something. We've got an idea. There's a, a business we know we could launch out into. There, God has called us to something. And yet, instead of being faithful to God's call, we look around and we see all the things that we don't have. Well, yeah, of course, if I had as much money as that person, I could do it. If I had the, the connections that person had, if I had the mom and dad backing me up that this person... It's easy to look around and compare and think about all the things you don't have. But again, miracles begin with what you have. What did God say to Moses? I know I used Moses last week. I'm not going to stay here long. What did God say to Moses? Moses is unsure of himself. He said, okay, you want me to go and stand before Pharaoh? How will he know I am from God? What, what, do you, how, what proof will he have? And what did God say to him? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? God did not ask Moses that because he did not know. God asked Moses that because, again, he is reiterating that miracles begin with what we have. You know what Moses had in his hand at that particular time? He had a staff. So, yeah, he... I just picture Moses tapping his pockets in front of God that, uh, wait a minute, God, let me see. This is all I got. I got, I got a staff. He had a glorified stick. God said, perfect. That's all you need. Through that stick, through that staff, Moses did many miracles. Through that staff, God showed up in mighty ways. So I ask you today, what's in your hand? That stick, that did that, that stick did not look impressive or significant to Moses. But when Moses gave God what he had, it became more than enough. Guys, can I tell you something? When we look at our life, it's very easy to see all the things we don't have. It's very easy to think of all the reasons why we can't do what God's called us to do. But what do you have? What do you have? Because God has given you exactly what you need to do what he's called you to do. I think about Samson. I loved Samson growing up when I was a boy. You remember what Samson had? Samson was a bad man, bad to the bone. Now, he messed up. He had a history of not being very discerning when it came to his choices in ladies. 
But Samson was a bad dude. Killed a lion with his hands. One particular day, what did Samson have in his hand? He had the jawbone of a donkey. That's it. That's what he had. And through that jawbone of a donkey, he killed a thousand Philistine men. You like that was the little something extra I'm giving you today. That's what Samson had. Think about David. What did David have? I'm just using this as a cane now. What did David have? David had a sling and a stone. And he took out a giant. The amazing thing about that is, this giant had been provoking. There was literally an army of Hebrew warriors. These guys were trained, battle ready. They had the full regalia. They had the suit of armor, the shield, the sword, the spear. They had all of the bells and whistles. And yet every single one of them was scared of this giant. David looks around. He said, okay. What's in my hand? I'm going to go fight with this. But David, that doesn't look impressive or significant. Do you remember King Saul tried to stop him? Hey, hey, David, you, you don't want to do that. You're going to make a mistake. All you've got, you need to try on my suit of armor. David said, it doesn't fit. I've got a sling and a stone. That's what I'm going to use. What do you have in your hand? It may not look impressive or significant, but it's what God's given you to do, what he's called you to do. So let's get back to our story. In John, uh, we've been reading in Mark chapter 6. Let me tell you what I'm doing here. So in Mark and in all the other Gospels except for John, you see that this inventory has been taken. And okay, here's the supplies we have. Well, John tells us where those supplies came from. John 6, 9 says, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go? Among so many. Here's this little boy, and he's got just a little bit, but he's going to do his part to see this miracle happen. So we're going to circle back around to that. Let me tell you about the miracle. Mark six thirty nine. so we're back in Mark. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Stop right there. This is a miracle in and of itself. How many of you have ever had to lead people? Yeah, they're crazy. Not you guys, of course. Again, I'm talking about another location. Not you. People are crazy. And these people in particular, it was the custom in that day that when a teacher taught, the teacher would sit down, the people would stand up. Remember, Jesus has been teaching all day. They've been standing up all day. In addition to that, they are now hangry. They are so hungry that they are now angry. They're tired, they're hangry, and Jesus directs the disciples, I want you to have all of them sit down in groups of 50s. 20,000 people sit down. That is a miracle that the disciples were able to. To pull that off. Because I know there were a lot of questions that day. Why? Why 50? What are we going to do? Are we about to eat? You know, I'm really hungry. (laughs) Just asking questions, I know. And yet, that's a miracle. Let me keep going. Verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. Stop. That's important right there. He gave them to the disciples to 
to distribute to the people. Jesus takes the fish, he takes the fish and the bread, and he's the one that does the miracle, but he works through his disciples. God always works through us. Man is God's method. Man is God's method. That is the way God works. And in this particular instance, he does the same thing God chooses to work through his disciples. In today's time, he chooses to work through us. We are his ambassadors. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And if we uh, want a lost and dying world to see the love of Jesus, it'll be because we show it to them. Because man is God's method. God could have rained down bread from heaven. If God just wanted to do this miracle solo, He could have rained down bread. He had already done that. Look at the book of Exodus. But God chose instead to use us. And He still does. Let me keep going. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Ladies and gentlemen, we serve a miracle-working God, and He is still alive and active. What I want to do is now I want to go back to the boy. I want to go back to the boy, and I want to pull out three lessons from this boy, three lessons to learn from the boy. This is our part of the miracle. Jesus is always faithful to do His part. The question is, will we cooperate with that? Will we unlock the door for a miracle? Here's how. Number one, he gave God what he had. He gave God what he had. Remember, I told you that a miracle begins with what you have? This kid didn't have anything fancy. He had two fish and five barley loaves. And when you hear a loaf of bread, you think something like you would get in a bakery. That's not what it was. It was like a barley, it was more like a biscuit. More like a biscuit. Think about it, this was lunch for a boy, okay? So this was not a big feast that, you know, this kid was walking around with. It did not look significant. It did not look impressive. But he gave God what he had. So again, I ask you the question, what do you have? For some of you, you might say, Pastor Andrew, I really don't have much. But yet, are you a leader in your job? Are, are you a, a boss or a supervisor? Do you have leadership capabilities? I'm telling you, those can be used for the church. Maybe you would say, absolutely not, Pastor Andrew. I am not a leader. I'm, uh, I, uh, I, I want to be led. I want to be a part of the team. Okay? Do you have a living room that's spacious? Could you host people at your home? One of the things that has happened with our bridge groups is we have had groups that wanted to meet and didn't have a place to meet. And, and so we need more host homes, not necessarily for this semester, but could it be that you could offer a place for a bridge group to meet? Maybe you would say, nope, nope, striking out, Pastor. Do you have time? Can you wave a Mickey hand? What do you have? Because that is the first key, the first lesson to unlocking that miracle. He gave God what he had. Number two, he gave God all he had. He didn't hold anything back. He, he didn't hold anything back. He, he never said, uh, well, you know what? This is 
actually my lunch and I am still hungry. So I'm going to take one of these fish and let me get two of those loaves of barley biscuits. And you guys do what you can with it. No, he didn't do that. He gave God all he had. If you haven't experienced a miracle yet, if, if you're not walking in that miracle, could it be that you're holding something back? Could it be that you know God has called you to do something and you're not being obedient with that? Are you holding something back? Number three, he gave immediately. He gave immediately. So it was actually, you see this in another, uh, in another one of the Gospels. It was actually the disciple Andrew who found the little boy with the food. <clears throat> That's right, Andrews for generations have been finding good food. <laughs> Andrew goes and finds the food, brings the kid to Jesus. One of the hallmarks of Andrew in the Bible, he doesn't pop up much, but every time you see Andrew in the Gospels, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, that's just a little something. What am I talking about? Oh, who are you? Andrew brings this kid to Jesus, and he gives what he has immediately. He didn't try to bargain. He didn't try to delay. He gave it immediately. This young boy does his part to see a miracle. And then, of course, we all know God does his part. Now, up until this point, we've been talking about a miracle in our personal lives. What, what would it take for God to do a miracle for us? What would it take not to make God do a miracle? We certainly can't make God, but what would it do? What would it take for us to cooperate with God in what He wants to do for us? Are we, in effect, blocking God's miracle and what God wants to do for us? Now, I want to kind of shift our thinking, shift gears, and talk about the church as a whole. The fact that when we all come together on Sunday and really all throughout the week, we make up the body of Christ in Mount Olive, North Carolina, known as the Bridge Church. We are the local expression of God's love to a lost and dying world. And so the question is, if we want to see a miracle in our church, and we certainly do, what's my part? Because when we all do our part, that's what unlocks the door. That's what cooperates with God to be able to do what He wants to do. And so, today, on your way out, you're going to be receiving one of these. Now, if you are a regular tender, if you've been with us for a while, you know that this is one thing that we do every year. It's called offering fit for a king. One time a year, we talk about money for four Sundays. October 7th, we are going to take up an offering, and we call it Offering Fit for a King. I used to get a little nervous. I used to have a lot of anxiety whenever these Sundays would come around because I thought, man, what if it's somebody's first time and, and they hear us talking about money? They're going to think that's all we ever talk about. If you're here for the first time today, and, and here's what I will say, don't give. This is not for you. Keep your wallet in your pocket. Keep your wallet in your pocketbook. This isn't for you. And if you'll stay with us for three more weeks, you won't hear about money for another year. Okay? So that's the promise I'll make to you. Here's why we do this. Here's why we talk about money once a year. Because the subject of money and, and handling money God's way, biblically handling our finances, it's all throughout Scripture, it's in 
the Bible. And so if we want to preach and teach the whole counsel of Scripture, how could we not talk about this subject? Go and look up how many references there are to money in Scripture. It will blow your mind. The point is, God wants you to win with money. And the way you win with money is by handling your finances God's way. It's by handling your finances God's way. We believe that God asks each one of us to give 10%. That God asks each person to give 10%. And here's the promise that God makes. God can do more. It's really an issue of trust. Knowing that do I trust God to do more with 90% left over, me giving God the first 10%, the first and best of what I've got, and then God's going to, God's hand of blessing will be on the 90%, or do I trust me by myself without God more with the 100%? Guys, I'm telling you, we trust God more with the 90%. I could tell you miracle after miracle. Last year, after offering Fit for a King, there were two people who had these amazing miracles. Uh, one got a raise at work. One got an unexpected check. Those are the kinds of things God does. Can I guarantee that that's going to happen to you? No, of course not. We don't manipulate God. But I can tell you, when we are faithful to what he's called us to do, God will be faithful to us. And so, for those that aren't tithing, October 7th, uh, there is a challenge for you to bring 10%. Now, go home, pray about that, uh, ask God if you should get in on that. And then for the rest of us, it is a free will offering. I want you to know that I do not know what anybody gives. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't know, and I don't care. I don't think I would treat anybody differently, but I don't want to find out. And so I don't know. Our executive pastor and our bookkeeper, they're the only two people who know what everybody gives. And so if you are a tither, that Sunday is an opportunity for you to give a free will offering. God has been so good to us. God has blessed us in so many ways, and it's an opportunity for us to give back to God. You might be sitting there thinking, well, Pastor Andrew, it sounds like a fundraising effort. It's not, I promise you. If, if you don't believe me, and you're, this is not your home church, go give to another church. Seriously, this is not about a fund. We're making budget. God has blessed our church. This is not about raising funds. This is truly about helping our people to win with money. Now, I know we all get a little uncomfortable when we talk about money, but it is biblical. Let me tell you something else. When you give to our church, let me just give you a little bit of vision, what we're doing, what's going on. I, I know there have been people who have asked, really not a lot lately, but in the past, it's funny, nine out of ten people who ask, are y'all getting a building? When are you getting a building? There are people who aren't in the church. It's about one, of, one out of ten that ask from here. But we've been looking. We've been looking for a building. And uh, we have a wonderful partnership with the university. God has richly blessed us. We've got a favorable rate for rent. We've been able to make a lot of inroads with the university and the staff and the students and and praise God. But we know we won't be portable forever. There will be a point in time when we will have a permanent location. And so about eight months ago, really at the beginning of this year, we began to look and just see what was out there. 
Let me tell you something. If you have looked at land prices in town, in Mount Olive, you know they are incredibly expensive. Uh, one of the people, every time I see a for sale sign on an attractive land, I call David Kernigge. He's the, one of the primary realtors here in town. And I know David's never expressed this to me. He might be tired of me calling. Hey, do you know about this piece of land? Do you know, what is, what's the price? How many acres? Those kinds of things. And there's just not been the right fit yet. And so we don't want to get ahead of God. We, we would like to have our own land. We would like to build our own building. But that has just not materialized yet. And so our Goldsboro location actually meets in a storefront. And so the thought came to us, what if we could get a storefront? And so we looked and looked in all the storefronts, and there's not enough room in any of the storefronts for all of our church to be able to meet together. And so we just said, okay, well, God, you've got us here for right now. You've closed these other doors, but we are eyes wide open to what God could be doing. And when the right thing comes along, we want to be ready to move. And so uh, when you give, you really do give uh, to facilitate that, that whenever we go into a building, we're not going to have to take on a large, large debt load. Let me tell you about something that happened more recently. This summer, uh, student ministry started. And through the summer, the plan was for student ministry to meet in a home. And then our student ministry team outgrew the home. And our leadership, just incredible leadership, God's blessing, our student ministry is bursting at the seams. And so it became apparent we're not going to, that is not a long-term solution. We're going to have to find a place. And what a lot of portable church locations do is they find a smaller storefront and use it as like a headquarters. If you need to have a meeting or if there's a bridge group that doesn't have a host home, something along those lines. And really for us, primarily it would be for student ministry uh, so that that could continue growing and we could continue to reach students for Jesus, that we would have that. And so we looked at a space earlier this summer. It just wasn't quite right for what we needed. And so we dropped back and punted on that idea. And uh, since then, God has provided an alternate solution. And we're going to be able to continue to, to grow and minister there, but we're still looking. And so I say all that to say, when you give, you're giving to that kind of vision. When you give, it's to things like happened yesterday. There were a group of volunteers yesterday who went to Nelson Street Park. And, and we uh, were able to serve those folks on the south side of town and cook hot dogs and had inflatables and those kinds of things. We did that yesterday. Next Sunday, you're going to be hearing about an opportunity in October where we're going to gather up all together and we're going to go out and serve different places and areas in the community. That's what we want to be about. We really want to reach the community for Jesus. And so your giving is a big part of that. So here's what I'd ask you to do. I want to ask you to pray about this. October 7th is a while away. And so we didn't want to do anything that caused you to get, had to have to give next week. We don't want you to give out of guilt or manipulation or anything like that. We just wanted to offer you an opportunity, okay? You're going to pick these up on your way out, one per family. It's going to have a letter in there. It's going to explain a little bit more, okay? Let's pray, guys. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you that you are still doing miracles. 
Lord, on the pages of Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see just mighty acts of God. We see how you made the lame to walk and the blind to see and, and how, God, you multiplied the bread and the fish and made it more than enough. And God, we want to see miracles in our day. Not so that we can get the credit, but like the story of that young lady who was, who was cutting and came to church and got saved. We didn't even share the pastor's name. We didn't even share the location. It's all about Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you will do. Each and every one of us has a part. I pray that you would cause us to take inventory of what's in our hand and that we would be faithful to do our part because that's where miracles begin. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.